0: Thank you for listening to Polititalk Rx, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you're in the profession of pharmacy or if you're in the healthcare industry, you can't afford to sit idle and not be informed about your profession. We ask you to share these podcasts with your fellow pharmacy associates, your state and local government officials, and get involved in politics in some capacity, starting with being informed. We must take action, but only when we're educated and understand the issues and policies which lead us to a better tomorrow for our profession. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Polititalk RX and send us, an email at polititalkrx at gmail.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to another show on Polititalk Rx. This is the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I have a very special guest on because here on the show, that's what we do. We keep them rolling, special guests. uh, I have Dr. Brad Tice. He is the SVP Pharmacy Practice at Aspen Rx Health, amazing company, founder at Rx Genomics, another amazing company, and president. Of the American Pharmacist Association. Brad, thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. So Brad, I want to go over a little bit of your bio. You're a very important individual. You have a lot on your shoulders. There's a lot going on this year. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so as you, as you noted there, I you know, graduated from pharmacy school in the uh, mid nineties, uh, but I've always focused my career on really working towards implementing pharmacist clinical services and getting pharmacists paid to deliver those services. So uh, I've done that starting in community chain practice Uh, that led to a position actually at Drake University in academia for eight years where I was really a shared faculty with a chain company, Thought out 75% of my position really to, you know, have a synergy between the two to get to implement new clinical services, you know, creating a unique environment, led me into entrepreneurship, actually, and it took me to Nashville, Tennessee, with a startup medication therapy management company called PharmMD. I spent a brief time at uh, Humana and then ended up at Cardinal Health as their product leader for MPM and then got to work in their uh, in a technology innovation center called Fuse. And then uh, was joined the uh, Aspen RX Health team in last September.
0: Yes, I I actually have a, a few questions regarding some of the Aspen RX Health. I think it's amazing you came down and uh, visited with me, and that's what caught my great attention to the app and the program itself. Uh, I wanted to actually get into the technology and discuss the app, the Aspen Rx Health, and what you guys are as a company. So you talked about the MTM. Can you explain the company, Aspen Rx Health, and what you guys exactly do, and also how you're out there recruiting pharmacists?
1: Yeah, so you know, I'm, we are super excited for uh, Aspen Rx Health to hit the market. We just started delivering services about a month ago. And really what Aspen is, it's the, uh, we call it the ubermeetsmatch.com of pharmacist services. And so what that means is it's the gig economy model where we can offer services to pharmacists that they can deliver uh, currently over the phone, but we'll be expanding that into an in-person, face-to-face type of an offering as well uh, to give multiple options. Um, But a pharmacist user can get signed up with us. and then they get established just like an Uber driver where they can log into the app, they can see opportunities to get paid to deliver services, and then they reach out, deliver that service over the phone right now, and then they get paid to deliver that service. Uh, it's, we call it the match.com part of that because on the front end, we can match the pharmacist clinically and, other, and using other criteria to the patient and then on the back end, the patient actually rates their pharmacist on loyalty and endorsement. So uh, endorsement is simply your you know, five-star rating. And then loyalty is if there's future services available, do I want to receive them from this pharmacist? And if so, they can create a link, and that pharmacist will have first dibs on, on future opportunities for that patient. Uh, but it's the first time that pharmacist, are getting paid directly for the services that they provide.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's amazing. And and I think it's one of the things that a lot of people they're in pharmacy and they think, you know, there's only one way to make money. Um, you're giving another option, which I definitely want to get into. I wanted to ask you, you know, starting this and going through this, what kind of barriers did you face when you started to launch the product? And I know, you know, from hearing from you, you worked at Humana. Um, was that your, direct relationship going back to kind of get that partnership together on this front as well.
1: Yeah, for me personally, I was uh, fortunate simply to join an outstanding team last September. It was really the uh, concept and idea of uh, David Medvedev, who has been successful in, in other startups. Uh, David and I actually started, um, in similar ways uh working in chain pharmacies working in implementing clinical services and we kind of had our eye on each other and what each other was doing you know for you know, honestly the last couple of decades and we've always wanted to work with each other and that gave us the opportunity or this gave us aspen gave us the opportunity so i was excited to join his team and uh and really be a part of this uh you know they went through the you know, typical you know startup challenges i think from from a uh, you know having to raise money, having to work through incorporating and really turning the concept into a viable business model, um, but you know one of the keys was was finding that right partner out of the gate, and so um, you know, that really has helped establish the funding and and work through some of the challenges
0: and both of you had somewhat of a different background when you know you brought both of your different values to the table. Um, You know, I think that's important, especially when we speak about entrepreneurship. And it seems like your past, you have a lot of that already in you. Uh, And and as you said, David, as well, does. was your work at Humana that kind of direct relationship, or was that already something established within the company?
1: No, that was already established uh, within the company. It certainly helps to to have a network and have relationships. And and, uh, that actually was already established before I came on board.
0: Right. Absolutely. So as an entrepreneur, I would like to hear more about what you got, like why you got into creating the next big opportunity for pharmacists. Did you, you know, did you find this? Did you see Uber and see, wow, that's an awesome opportunity? Did you see innovations like that or what sparked your interest? Because the reason I ask that is a lot of students, a lot of pharmacists. You know, they're not out there looking, searching sometimes, and they don't see what's available or what potential, or they see like a gadget or technology, and then they say, you know, oh, well, that's cool. Instead of saying, oh, well, let's adapt that to my area of pharmacy or my healthcare space. You know, what what got you into this space?
1: Yeah, I actually got started in entrepreneurship going back to my days in academia, and I was seeing opportunities where um, pharmacists, uh for example, we we had a communications teacher in the pharmacy school that was uh using cornflakes and smearing them on with gel on chemistry goggles, lab goggles to simulate cataracts and then to uh you know, to create to teach pharmacy students empathy for patients. And then when we started looking at entrepreneurship, we saw some of the same teachings going on where the, Uh, The entrepreneurship faculty were actually doing the same thing, only they were using it to develop new products, new business concepts, to help more than one person at a time bring new solutions to market. And they were doing the same things with uh, oven mitts and unwrapping Hershey's Kisses uh, to simulate arthritis on the pharmacy side to, again, teach empathy on the the entrepreneurship side to develop new products. And so we actually started an entrepreneurial leadership uh, um, group called Delta RX at Drake, and uh, that really got me into the entrepreneurship side. But it's always been about getting developing clinical services for pharmacists, and then bringing those to market and helping being able to help advance the profession further faster uh, by getting pharmacists paid for those services. And so that's really what has spurred my entrepreneurship. Interests, and then you know the rest of it—the business school, the others have just been drivers to help achieve that goal. Uh, and then you know David as well—he's he's done a great job and his team of focusing on uh, seeing, identifying problems, um, simplifying them, and bringing the solutions to market. Uh, and and really, you know, as they say, as they talked about how they formed the company initially, it was really about seeing. You know, one MTM it was typically under delivered, and the, the health plans and payers were typically underwhelmed uh, with how it was being delivered. And then two, seeing the changes in the different dynamics in the market with over graduating pharmacists, uh, pharmacy students, and to, to become professionals, and 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 where things were headed in the in the industry, so really not just the industry across the entire market. Uh, seeing an opportunity for this model to to really fit and make sense.
0: And and I love that. I wanted to jump into the conversation actually about technologies. You know, as we see many new innovations in private companies jumping in, we see the Amazons, the, you know, Google Healths and and so on. There's a lot of fear rising among many in the professions, different professions, but many in our profession, uh, you know, and as though the technologies may force them out of a job. So what would you what kind of advice or message would you give to those people feeling that anxiety about technology and the disruption? You know, I I actually read a book not too long ago called the digital doctor and uh, it was amazing. And and actually Dr. Daniel Kraft from singularity university recommended it. And it was just, it, it talks about technology and there is a fear. So what would you give somebody, you know, what kind of advice would you give somebody in that situation and looking at what you have accomplished personally? Yeah, you know, I,
1: I can understand those fears. I think when we think about where we're at today and kind of the status quo, I think the status quo will be disrupted. Uh, You know, I was just giving a commencement address this last weekend and was sharing with these new graduates. You know, when I first entered pharmacy practice, pharmacists did not do immunizations. Pharmacists were not paid to deliver clinical services. Um, you know, now we're looking at provider status. and And, and then I also something added in at the same time, when I first entered practice, the internet barely existed. So uh, it's kind of crazy to think about uh, how much change has happened. So change is going to happen, but if you look at, and it can certainly be a threat, you know, we all see the articles around artificial intelligence, and will, will it you know, basically replace all aspects of our lives. So I think technology has the potential to disrupt every aspect of our lives, but it also has the potential to really enhance what we do. And so when you look at Aspen, for example, uh, you know we all hear the threats of Amazon uh, and and them their entry into the market and the healthcare and the pharmacy and the disruption they could occur. But that's really around distribution, and and models and new technology like Aspen really brings a solution that can transform pharmacy practice, specifically around pharmacists getting paid to deliver services. And with the amount of misuse or inappropriate or suboptimal use of medications, you know, that is always going to be needed. And most of the time, that really comes down to a relationship with the patient and being able to really work with the patient one-on-one and understand their needs. So I think while technology can be a, a disruptor of the status quo, It can also create opportunities for new types of practice where pharmacists, frankly, can practice more at the top of their license and do what they went to pharmacy school to really do, which is really to, as I say, get people on the right medication, using them the right way and achieving the desired results with those medications, not just handing the pills across the counter.
0: So I I absolutely agree with you, and I definitely I want to jump into that subject, but first I want to go over some things. Uh, and I and I love what you're saying. Trust me, it's 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 amazing to hear somebody, especially at your level, acknowledging some of the things that we could do better. And you know we have to take on some sacrifices. So I wanted to talk to you because you are in involved in legislation, um, and I'm sure you know everything about everything when it comes to what states are doing. I wanted to discuss some of the legislative wins that pharmacists have seen around the country, from Oregon with birth control and Ohio with provider status. What do we see happening next, and and what kind of things can we expect coming on the national level when it comes to the legislative process or, you know, like you said, being able to give access or or provide better outcomes for our patients?
1: Yeah, you know, I think – and again, one of my three asks is what I've – in my presidential year for APHA, one of those is to – well, really around pharmacists telling their stories – we're using those stories to advance provider status Uh, that's both at the federal and the state level as we've seen as we've been promoting and pushing for provider status uh, we see these other wins, whether those are at the state level in different aspects of provider status or other areas as you mentioned some of those other successes around being able to prescribe in certain categories or deliver more services in certain categories so certainly What I hope to see this year is is to pass provider status for pharmacists, even if it's at a very small level. Uh, I think there's uh, opportunities to get our foot in the door, and there's increasing recognition of the value of pharmacists from what we've been doing, from from the advocacy around provider status. And we've seen, uh, even over the last several months, the invitations to the White House around signing of the uh, gag clauses. And... uh, and the other legislation being invited even just last week to get an update on what's going on um, by APHA staff. And so to me, the obviously the big win is going to be getting s- uh, some sort of federal legislation around provider status, but we've got to keep pushing it to get the wins at the state level. As those state level wins mount up, we'll, we'll then also you know, have more opportunity at the federal level. And so people are seeing the value. Uh, we just got to keep our foot on the accelerator and question, hard to get it across the line.
0: Yeah. And, and there's definitely the noise. Uh, I know last year, especially when I was up in Congress in, in D.C., there was a lot of noise about pharmacists. And you know there was some confusion on, on some level because, and that happens even on the state level about what pharmacists actually do. But I think when we step our feet into some of the public health issues like opioids, for instance, which, you know, hey, it's 2019. Opioids are still a continued topic, but, you know, we're, we're seeing so many pharmacists get involved. What are some of the pharmacists that you know about doing around the country to reduce the effect of the epidemic and, and other health crises? Maybe like what Walgreens has done with, you know, the counseling, uh, increased Narcan uh, dispensing. What are the, what are some of the things that you've seen others involved in public health or specifically opioids do around the country? Yeah, you know, we're
1: we're I think we're what you mentioned. We're seeing more uh, naloxone training pharmacists being able to be uh, supportive. I think uh, there's certainly an opportunity for pharmacists. Uh, even provider status to be passed. Obviously, we're seeing more take-back programs and more understanding of that. So really, uh it's more uh, about training and education on pain management and mental health and being able to help pharmacists work through those issues on, on mental health and opioids better. And, and we're seeing different programs and different training to give them access and really see them as a solution. You know, uh, within, I was talking to one state recently uh, where they were – Part of how they advocated for pharmacists to be specifically involved in the uh, naloxone trading is is around the distribution i believe this was south carolina actually and uh, they one of their points is that when you simply provide the naloxone to law enforcement or other places uh, that stock does not get rotated and this seems like maybe a simple solution for um, for pharmacists but but when you run it through the pharmacy, the stock does get rotated, doesn't expire. You can make sure people have the right drug that's a good quality drug. And so I thought that was an interesting solution for how pharmacists can get involved, even at a distribution level, to be more a part of the community health and public health efforts.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're, we hear a lot of communities talk about, you know, hey, opioid deaths are down, opioid overdose deaths are down. And some people may take that as, well, the problem is residing. And what I've talked to epidemiologists about was the fact that they're still getting a lot of overdoses. It's just there's a lot more narcan, which we see is obviously preventing a lot of the deaths that we were seeing in years past to hit that plateau, but they're still seeing the overdoses. And so I think even when we see pharmacists in areas like MAT and and the Medicaid assisted therapies and and you know being on hand in these, you know, primary care or mental health clinics that we're going to start to see that the right drugs are given, the right doses, there's uh, adherence to those medications. And truly, I believe that pharmacists will have one of the biggest hands into therapies moving forward. But I wanted to jump into some other topics. So PBMs, sorry, we have to get into this topic. I get on it almost every show I feel like now. I want to switch over to the PBMs and talk about what what it is we're seeing, you know, what needs to be done and what can pharmacists do to help without getting themselves into the spotlight? Because I feel like that's one of the fears. I just wanted to hear it, you know, uh, give me your elevator on, on, on PBMs.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, this is actually, I think one of the additional benefits of us uh, lobbying for provider status and uh, seeing the value of getting the legislators ear more. Uh, I think we've been working great as a profession across some of the different associations uh, to also, you know, bring this to light and you're seeing from the state association traction to APHA, NCPA, NACDS, really the light that's being shown and people are, you know, getting the getting the understanding that needs to be there around the different spread pricing issues, the different uh, DIR fees, direct and indirect remuneration fees that are being used inappropriately uh, this is what's leading into rebates. These are what is leading to the high cost of drugs. It's crazy to me to think about even something like insulin. That when I was back in the stores in the 90s was you know you know 19 to 25 dollars a vial, and now it's 200 dollars a vial. And you know, people are finally starting to understand this, uh, get a lot more visibility. We were extremely <laughs> disappointed. I think the entire industry was that uh, CMS and, and HHS didn't do more in their latest ruling. Um, they, I think everyone sees what's going on and is looking for the right way to address it. I think, honestly, one of the biggest challenges is simply the scoring from the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, it's both what's uh, a problem with uh, getting provider status passed and it's a pro- and problem with uh, how they're scoring this legislation that is making it seem like costs are going to go up and it's not accounting for the realities in the middle uh, and the savings on the medical side, because every time we see pharmacists involved with healthcare, we see healthcare costs go down. And and I really see that as a solution for the future.
0: Well, and I think we've been hearing that for a long time. I mean, even from people uh, back in 2012, the U S surgeon general stated the same thing. You know, we see things that we can do uh, to help like, collaborative practice, for instance, what do you say to the pharmacist who feels already overwhelmed? You know, you got the independent or these, uh, you know, chain pharmacies, what have you it, but, you know, they already have this crazy job, a lot of things, uh, you know, responsibilities, part of the role, um, but you hear things like collaborative practice and more counseling. You know, you have to do more counseling. In in a lot of people's heads, they're thinking, whoa, you know, we've already had vaccines, we saw this with MTMs we didn't make more money to do those but we had to do them as part of our new you know st- st- stats to keep our jobs what what would you say i mean you found a solution obviously for MTMs and and i feel like it's going to take off major uh, but what do you say to those pharmacists and and that are hearing that you guys are at APHA or other people are pushing for you know more responsibility let's say
1: yeah well i think there's there's a lot of different answers to that uh, it's a multifaceted uh, question and an answer um you know first of all on the on just the workplace well-being issue uh, APHA has is, you know, seen it a year and a half ago at the at the House of Delegates in March of 2018 we saw pharmacists in tears from the way from what they were having to deal with in the workplace and, uh, and that really opened our eyes as to how significant the problem is We've had different tasks for on workplace issues going back to the time when I was a student in pharmacy, the early nineties, and, uh, everyone has kind of worked to address it, but it's coming to such a head right now, and it's such a, um, APHA, for example, uh, has seen the need is put major efforts into it, including, uh, having a workplace, uh, consensus conference on workplace issues this July, bringing mm-hmm. in, uh, Stakeholders from across the industry to say, okay, well, how do we address this? But but really, the the way to address it and the issue is the what's going on with pricing. And when you're an employee in a of a large company, oftentimes you are shielded from seeing the actual pricing uh, that's happening that's driving your stresses in the workplace. It's causing reduced staff and other things, and and so uh, and that increase your workload. And so I think that's one of the keys with Aspen is that aspen is the first time we've really separated the product and the service and so i think you'll see that as you, as you say i am I, you know, highly anticipative of expanding that and expanding the model and and really providing pharmacists that opportunity and, and then providing pharmacists an opportunity uh, to contract back with a, a a pharmacy locally to say how do i deliver these services much like a hospitalist to a hospital, a physician with a hospital contract. say I can deliver these services. I have this panel of patients. You know, there's going to be on-site needs from distribution, from flu shots or other vaccinations and other types of in-person services that Aspen's not looking to do. And, and so it can be a great model for disrupting that pharmacist practice and getting the pharmacist more leverage. I think part of the other answer is really new models that are emerging to disrupt the PBM foothold, uh, for example. We don't need PBMs to do more than adjudicate claims. Um, when they start doing more, that's where the, the, the perverse incentives get in place. And uh, what we are seeing, I think, more of are more direct contracts with employers uh, and other payers, you know, the real payers for the services who uh, who have, are seeing the you know spread pricing and other issues are cost, costing them? I've heard typically it's around thirty percent is the amount in the middle um, that's driving up cost, and so I think the direct contracts to uh, you get around the PBM uh, pricing is another opportunity, and and so you know really it's about you know addressing the area or the issue from multiple different angles.
0: I agree. It's, it's definitely a multifaceted approach. Uh, real quickly, I wanted to get your take on. Healthcare. So are you in favor of things like single payer option or single payer universal healthcare? Uh what are your thoughts? Basically, is Obamacare working? What can we do? What needs to be done in our legislation for our system to truly benefit patients? Because we hear a lot of these names and, and, and I think we all agree that something needs to be done, drugs are too much, and people aren't getting the quality of health care that they deserve. Uh, and and I think it's a pay-for-play almost in healthcare in today's market, you know, it costs so much for insurance. So what do we need to do from your perspective? From my perspective, uh you sure I'll be biased in my answer here, but I truly hundred percent
1: honestly believe uh the answer is pharmacists. I think if we would just if the healthcare system would just empower pharmacists to work with patients and physicians to get people using the medications correctly, getting them on the right medications, using them the right way and achieving the desired results with those medications, you gotta pay pharmacists to do that. But I think that is the silver bullet answer that needs to be implemented. Uh, Aaron Carroll uh, was a speaker at the Pharmacy Quality Alliance uh, meeting a couple weeks ago, and he was the one who was the author of the editorial in the New York Times around the unsung role of a pharmacist. And he provided, and again, not a pharmacist, but actually a physician, and provided evidence to say, look, every time we use pharmacists, healthcare costs go down. There's all this evidence out there. Why are we not listening to it? Why are we not using it? Why are we not changing health care to get pharmacists more involved? Um, I, I 100% believe that that would truly drive down costs and improve overall health care.
0: I think it comes a lot to turf. I think it comes to how things are worded. But, uh, you know, it's crazy because you're right. Like every time you ask physicians that are working with pharmacists, if they're even their quality of work is better or the outcomes are better, and they'll say, absolutely. I think that it's our duty and our job. And I'm going to work with you guys as well uh, as best, you know, to my best ability to just continue to educate people on what pharmacists do. Because I think unless you're truly sick, you don't really get to see the actions of, of a lot of our clinical work. Uh, and I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing in terms of the technology, the innovations, understanding how intelligent pharmacists are, the knowledge that we possess, especially through apps like yours with Aspen RX Health, They're going to see a lot more of that. I wanted to discuss with you, what does the pharmacist of 2040 look like? What sacrifices will need to be made to get there? Because we're not going to be able to hold on to our, you know, putting pills in a bottle for the rest of our lives. I know a lot of people want to kind of control that, whether it be because of other services not being paid for or not, but just talk to me. What is, what does that pharmacist in 2040 look like? In 2040. So, uh, you know, that's actually about the same amount of time that from the time I
1: graduated to the time that I, you know, I have um, been in pra- in practice today. And so, you know, a lot can change. As I said, we weren't doing immunizations at the time. We weren't doing uh Uh, we weren't getting paid to deliver clinical services even though mtm isn't everything that we wanted it to be and so i think it's going to be a model where pharmacists are more empowered i think we'll get there based upon what we've seen with the advances in provider status and the legislation and the recognition i think we'll get to a point where pharmacists are seeing patients uh, delivering the service you know we need the model where pharmacists are putting the service first and the product behind them, just like, for example, an optometrist model, where patients value the service. They, they get their exam done by the pharmacist, in this case, reviewing the medications, and then you know, the product may be distributed by them, or they, it may be handed out separately, but the pharmacist is the one working with the patient to ensure appropriate medication use, and that's really what's driving healthcare. You've got a physician or other uh, healthcare practitioner establishing the diagnosis. And then you've got the pharmacist working with patients clinically uh, on the front end to get them using the medication the right way.
0: And, and you said something, and, and I, I saw you also uh, post a quote as well about business. It's, about, it's, it's not about creating patients. It's about creating the customer. And I think that that, and, and sorry if I misquoted it, but, um, that kind of concept, that business approach, you know, it is a business. We are a business. Healthcare is a business. Like we, you know, you see Amazon. I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do order from Amazon. I'm sure everybody and their mother does, um, and grandmothers. So the idea that when you order something from Amazon, and you, uh, you know, you, you want to return it. Boom. Happens right away. Label. Boom. To your phone. Everything's so convenient for you as a customer that you want to engage more. And you talked about the loyalty aspect of it and being able to grade services. Like we should be able to do that all the time. It shouldn't be just about how, how, you know, how your pain is graded, um, and, and where we got in trouble you know, early on and with that, but more so about the service that was provided. How did you feel? Like, was there a customer basis? And yes, every provider goes through different, you know, atmospheres and um, and things, surgery, whatever the case may be. But I think we really need to start tailoring to the customer uh, in that business approach. I love what you post. Grandfather of management says it's
1: the purpose of a business is to create a customer, not a product. And, you know, I feel like in some ways we've got MTM legislation passed, so we created the product. But the consumer, the customer didn't really understand it. And so what we're doing now with provider status and that's why I said pharmacists need to tell their stories to help people understand the value of the pharmacist so that we can create more opportunities and create that customer.
0: I absolutely agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you, you are the president of APHA. I want to know, last question, what do you intend on doing? As president, that will leave a president for those to come after you. Uh, you're, you're very innovative. I just see big things. I, I truly have believed in the organizations a, a lot more just because of you. So what are some of the things that you're going to leave as a legacy? Well, so I've, I've got three asks during my
1: presidency year. I've alluded to them in some of my responses this morning and today, uh, which is really pharmacists need to tell their stories. So you develop a way to tell your story about the value you bring and the impact you make in patient care. Um, and we have so, so many different examples of those, you know. And and so the reason I say that is stories are powerful. People remember stories. You know, we, they may be convinced by facts and figures, but they remember stories first and forever. And uh, secondly, expect your colleagues to be members of APHA. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not just asking people to be members, I'm saying expect your colleagues to be members in addition to you being a member because uh, we've got to work together to advance the profession and every pharmacist, you know, once they choose to be a pharmacist, is a part of the ever-developing story of the profession. And so, and, and APHA, you know, uh, is actually launching new member models. They're coming out in the next probably week, actually. Where, they're, where we are establishing tiered membership. So we're trying to meet people where they're at. So if you're in a different part of the profession that has another organization that, that you think represents you more directly, you should be a part of that. And, and every pharmacist should be a member of their state association. But I also believe every pharmacist should be a member of APHA. And so we have a – if you just want to be informed and involved and informed and, and access to the electronic – it's not gonna really be much more than $100 to be a member of APHA. So I think every pharmacist can afford that. Every pharmacist needs to be a member and, and then be involved in other areas as well because we, APHA shepherds the profession. We wouldn't have immunization without APHA and the state associations, we wouldn't have NPM. Uh, we're working on provider status. So, so the big asks uh, are accomplished through APHA, working with the state and working with the other associations and, but also realize HCHA is, is representing you every day as a pharmacist in Congress, on the Hill, uh, across the marketplace and from DIR fees to compounding to uh, really every, every issue that's out there. I think if people would take a closer look. They'd see how much these organizations do to represent them and the cost is really not too high of an expectation. So, and then third, Use those stories to advance provider status. As I said, every time that pharmacists are given the opportunity, we see improvements in patient care and lowering of health care costs, and we just got to keep pushing forward. And, and while we don't have provider status yet, we have seen many states and other tangential benefits from pushing that forward and being understood better as a profession.
0: Well, Mr. President, if I could call you that, President Tice, uh, SVP, pharmacy practice, Aspen Rx Health, and founder of Rx Genomics. Sir, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Honestly, it was a pleasure. And I know our listeners are going to definitely appreciate having you and, you know, you as a leader. I have so much uh, excitement in me from just listening to some of the things and your three focuses. So this is another show of PolitiTalk Rx on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Dr. Tice, I do appreciate you and to our listeners. Hope you have a great day.